So, as most of you know, um, some of you may be newer to the vineyard, the vineyard movement of churches, but we have a very long, long history of writing songs and music for the body of Christ. So, And um, we figured two things are happening. There's a beautiful, amazing wind blowing for all worship across the earth, but also uh, we've been discovering the vineyard wind that we had a few years ago that was so strong, really, from one end of the earth to the other, is beginning to pick up steam again. And uh, in our particular vineyard, we're beginning to feel the creativity. And the, even when you do the worship, we hear the worship now. It's just so, I'm just so grateful God lets us do this and uh, have the quality of worship that we do. And not just quality in the music sense, but just the heartfelt singing to God with, you know, uh, with all our heart. So anyway, I think it honors the Lord, and I think it's really, really important. And I, we just thought maybe we should just put our, our sail out in the wind and see what happens. So. Uh, we will be doing that. All right, so I want to talk about the inheritance Jesus per- purchased for us. It's a pretty dramatic inheritance. Sometimes we forget our inheritance and who we are in the Lord. One of the most amazing passages in the Scripture are Isaiah 53 and Isaiah 54. They're actually really New Testament passages. They forecast what Jesus did for us on the cross and then in 53, and then 54 tells us what was purchased for us what is available to us by grace because of what he did for us on the cross, right? So because of what Jesus did, every believer has an incredible heritage with the Lord. Now, heritage is interesting because you, you might want to confuse that with inheritance. Inheritance has its own thing, and we have an inheritance in the Lord. But heritage means this. It means the reality of possession. So whenever I talk about the heritage of the Lord, we're talking about the reality of possession, so what happened is in Isaiah 53 forecasts the death of Christ, which is hundreds and hundreds of years before it happened. And Isaiah 54 is what came as a result of that, what God intended, what was in his mind and his heart. So the two wonderful passages, uh, chapters actually set side by side. And the heritage of the Lord, remember, it's the reality of what we get to possess. When I say reality of possession, it means it only was bought for us on the cross, but we possess it, we, we own it, we, we, we get to have this. Is part of our inheritance uh, with God and part of what he did on the cross and then resurrecting from the dead. He had to resurrect from the dead, proving that all these things that he spoke about were true and that he had the power to deliver what he said, right? And so, of course, the scriptures hundreds and hundreds of years before forecast all of this. So, again, Hebrew in Hebrew, heritage describes the reality of possession. So why we have an inheritance with God? Let's read... Uh, Isaiah chapter 53, verses 10 to 12. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the, world, though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will prolong his offspring, I'm sorry, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. That's in the hand of Jesus we're talking about. This is all being forecast way before it happened, right? So this is why he was forecasting Jesus who would come and purchase all of this. He was crushed, he was sent to suffer, and on the other side, of when he resurrected from the dead, then all of Isaiah 54 and so many other passages came to pass for us. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. He will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. So 
Intercession is a really important point. We usually think of that in terms of prayer, but he stood in the gap for us. We were helpless before God because even one sin is enough to alienate us from God forever and ever and ever. So God had to do something, and so he sent his son to bridge the gap. So we call in the name of the Lord. He becomes our sacrifice for our sins. But what ancient people didn't know was that it was actually going to be God himself who would be this person. It was hard for them to even imagine. The Jews who are thorough with the scriptures, and especially Isaiah, where we're reading, we'll read a lot from Isaiah today, they knew fully those passages, and they missed it completely. They did not understand. He was talking about a real person who had purchased all this, and he would actually go through these steps. They had lots of thoughts about it, but not in the form of a man. And when he showed up, they didn't recognize him. They didn't recognize him. They knew about the good part that was going to come as a result of him showing up, but they didn't know about the suffering part, right? And the suffering part goes with the good part. So why we have an inheritance with God is because Jesus poured out his life on purpose for all of our sins. 53.6 says, We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Serious sins, small sins, every form of iniquity that we seem to find ourselves too easily trespassing into. Well, the greatest favors God can give you is an awareness of sin. Because before you knew the Lord, you didn't even know, right? You didn't know you were guilty. You didn't know what he thought about you and your sin, right? So coming to Christ, part of the process is you come to know like who you really are <laughs> and how much danger you're really in until you make this transaction with God. So verse 12 says, Therefore, because he goes through all of these things, bearing their iniquities, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. So intercessor is really important. He allowed himself to be a transgressor, for, and he became uh, to considered a transgressor, actually, to actually take the weight of the sin of the whole world on him, and he then became an intercessor. He was able to speak on our behalf before the Father because of what he did on the cross for us, which is a very, very important thing. Maybe you hear that in church a lot. But one thing I found is that uh, people miss huge sections of this understanding of Jesus as our intercessor, meaning he stood in the gap. He, he, he spoke to God on our behalf and used his blood to do it, right? And he still speaks to God on our behalf. That thing that he did is still speaking to God on our behalf. So the thing is, here's an interesting thing. Also what was bought at the cross is our ability then to become little intercessors. He's the big one, but he makes us into intercessions. He makes us into intercessors. He makes us have the ability to pray for people, to stand in the gap for them, to sacrifice for them at times. I think sometimes people come to Christ simply because we sacrifice for them, because we love them so much, right? But also, there's this unique thing in the intercession. We even call some kinds of prayer intercession that we have to actually call out to people in the name of Jesus and ask God to save them. And so this thing called prayer, it's just remarkable to me. Uh, I guess I've been so immersed in this so long, but it's remarkable to me how few people really understand what authority they have what place they have in changing the events of lives around them in their own life. And so they give up so easy. You know, there's someone voting against your people, your family, your life, 
and there's someone powerful and voting for you, greater is he that is in you than he is in the world. Yet somehow we let the one that's in the world intimidate, keep us from praying, give up. Never, never give up. Jesus didn't give up on you. You don't give up on others. And one of the unique places you have with him is to be an intercessor. He became our intercessor. And so now you can pray along with him in his name. And he'll even help you pray for them. This whole thing of prayer, which we're going to have, for example, for our nation here pretty soon. You saw the announcement. If you ever prayed for our nation, it's time that you do that now. There's so many things that are in the balance, you know. I know politics can get confusing a little bit, and uh, people rub you the wrong way, but I think we can all uh, agree that our nation is in really bad trouble. And uh, I think maybe uh, our perception of that's really important right now, really important. It's so important to know how deep in trouble we are, you know. I think for those that are older, one advantage that we have is we saw the nation in various forms and shapes, you know, like like when I was a teenager, I lived through all that rebellion, you know, <laughs> which our generation probably started the mess we have right now, frankly, but uh, all of that. But with it, incredible beauty, incredible music, and, and all along with it, an entire Jesus movement of <laughs> saving all those kids from our generation for all the mess they caused, right? But the thing is, Iniquity has this way of just continuing to compound if not adjusted, if not stood against, right? So we have lots of decisions we need to make personally about that. But also one decision that really uh, uh, intrigues me is how few people really pray about the situation. I can tell by the way they sound. They have a sense of desperation about them, a little bit of anger in them. I can tell just by the way they sort of uh, talk they don't really pray about much. Or they don't think that their prayers mean anything. Could I assure you, your prayers mean everything. We're going to have this National Day of Prayer. I don't call National Days of Prayer because I want another excuse to pray. If there ever was a, con- a time when you gathered together and humbled yourself and prayed, I think this would be a great day. You know, it's funny because I was looking through, the, through history and um, I just ran across this incredible book. And I can't remember off the top of my head what the title was, but it was this book and it included Abraham Lincoln. And during the Civil War, he called a couple of times of national intercession. And so the National Day of Prayer is sort of patterned after him. And the wording of that prayer is just one of the most beautiful things you have ever heard from the president on down, written to pray for our country, to pray for our nation. And, uh, and all along through our history, it's been the prayers of the saints. We are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. Either we are or we are not. And if we are that, then we have this unusual ability to take what Jesus bought for us on the cross as intercessors and intercede and pray along with him for the lost and the broken. Jesus hasn't given up on any country. Rather, actually, he's invading nations at a pace that the world has never seen before. Jesus didn't withdraw from the world. Jesus is involved in the world deeper than you ever could imagine because great swaths of humanity as we speak for the first time in 2,000 years are now coming to the faith. Thousands and millions upon millions. I, would say, I was going to say thousands, but it's millions now. In places like India, it will become the most populous country in the world here in a few months. Places like China, there's two billion plus right there. Yet there's these vast moves of God in these countries. You won't hear about it on the news much. It's a revolution, but every those governments, believe me, and we know this firsthand, they know. They know exactly what's going on because 
You can't have that much change in movement, especially it makes them nervous when it's happening in the countryside where they don't have as much control. And this is happening all over the earth. Africa, every continent is undergoing some strange change, so it should be another impetus for you to uh, intercede for this inheritance, the greatest inheritance of all. The kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our God. Right? Amen. Yeah, it's good. So we'll see you here praying, huh? In case you forgot the day it is, it's in your bulletin. All right. So if you look at your outline, number two, the confident responses of God's supernatural family. I love these passages so much because they, they, they help us understand from the Old Testament perspective what the New Testament is, what Jesus bought for us, right? So Isaiah chapter 54, I want to just read some verses. So Isaiah 53 is about what Jesus did. Isaiah 54 is about the bounty, what we get as a result of it. Now listen to that. So you have to sometimes to understand this. In some places, passages are extremely easy. But other passages, it's sometimes hard to... But just, just put yourself in that space, right? Like sing barren woman. Well, have you ever felt barren, fruitless, right? If you feel like you, you know, you're just in a really dull place in your life or just nothing's going right, right? He says, sing barren woman. Because see, Isaiah 53 has happened what Jesus... He poured out his life unto death. He was numbered with the transgressors. He, he made intercessor for the transgressors. Then 54 is what was bought, right? Our inheritance. Sing, barren woman. You who never bore a child, burst into song, shout for joy. You who are never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband, says the Lord. Sometimes we get in desolate places. But when God looks at your desolate place, he thinks this way. Hey, you have more than you think. You're more than you know. You're in a desolate place. That's a great excuse for me to make you into a great place. You're, you're right there. You're humble and everything. <laughs> you're ready to go, right? So he makes this declaration. You may be desolate, but part of the great gospel is it always is on the increase. The gospel multiplies. It adds. It, it's always about that in your life. You get your soul saved, but boy, then that's just the beginning of multiplication, right, in your life. So I like these verses. They're so amazing. Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch your tent curtains wide. Do not hold back. Just get a, get a bigger house. <laughs> Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes. It's all about getting a bigger... You need more room to live. For you will spread out to the right and to the left. I'm not talking about your weight here. I'm talking about something much... <laughs> That's the wrong kind of spread. We don't want that one. For you will spread... <laughs> I don't know why I put that in there. Sorry about that. But anyway... Maybe I'm conscious of my own spreading. But anyway, for you will spread out to the right and to the left. Your descendants will dispossess nations. See, this is what happens. This is what's happening now. I just mentioned the nations. We're displacing the nations right now as you speak. It did just happen a long time ago or in some other age. As the end of time gets near and Jesus coming back, it's getting more and more intense. And though you have all kinds of bad news and bad politics and everything, still, you know, for those of us that lived during the time of the Jesus people and all that stuff, this is like they had the movie and we had all that and everything, great stuff coming along. It was a hell during that time. Everybody thought the whole world was falling apart. I remember getting under my, my desk because we'd do uh, drills in case the Cubans sent a missile our way, you know, or the Russians sent uh, missiles our way. You remember that? It was a fear. JFK gets shot. I'll never forget that. JFK on, on the playground. We're just little kids running around, you know. JFK got shot. The president was assassinated, right? And I remember a friend coming to me and said, hey, the president got killed. They put three shots right in his forehead. One, two, three. 
<laughs> that was the first word I got. Then you go in, and there's the news on everything. And man, I'm telling you, these 60s and 70s and all that, and our time too, are just radical, crazy. People dying of drug overdoses and going nuts. But at the same time, see, look, the body of Christ is also spreading out, right? We're dispossessed nations. We settle in their desolate cities. What we began to do is settle in the desolation at that time and still are. Our job is to settle where the weakness is, where the trial is, where the trouble is. We settle in those places. That's our assignment. We go to make them better, right? That's why Isaiah 54 comes along. Aren't you glad that Isaiah 54 comes, right? Do not be afraid. You will not be put to shame. Do not fear disgrace. You will not be humiliated. Lord, I just ask anybody that feels humiliated today, I declare this passage. You're not to fear disgrace. You will not be humiliated. In the end of the day, you're going to come out on top. You're a believer. You'll forget the shame of your youth. Remember no more the reproach of your widowhood. Oh, what a wonderful passage of Scripture that is, right? Now, if you look at Isaiah 49, verses 5 and 6, I want to just read these verses just for a moment. Again, a little bit earlier in the chapter. And now the Lord says, He who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to himself and gather Israel to himself. Who is that? Jesus. This is what Jesus was thinking. right? This is what the conversation that was going on. This is all about him. So, and now the Lord says, He who formed me, Jesus, in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him and gather Israel to himself. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has been my strength. He says, It is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. So he came for the whole world, right? Not just through for Israel, but through Israel he went to the whole world. And the things that he did through the nations and still doing are still playing out from the time of Jesus till now. It's all still playing out. He's still going to the ends of the earth. He knew that the population numbers would be so staggering no one could have ever imagined, right? In his day, how many people would be on the face of the earth? He made sure that the earth got full and plump and full of people, more people than ever, so he could bring this massive move of God and bring more saints to glory. He let it proceed through the generations, and the plan began to unfold. And every generation, there's believers. And it just gets stronger and stronger. We're not getting weaker. The devil would love for you to think, we're getting weaker. We're not getting weaker. We're getting stronger. Even though wickedness increases, that doesn't mean that the church isn't increasing, because we are. And that's something I want to make sure that we just keep in our mind. I always like, when I'm thinking about the end times, and I'm thinking about the current state of our nation, I have to keep myself in place. Now, wait a minute. What else is happening here on planet Earth? What else is happening redemptively on the planet? What other things are going on? And that's one reason why it thrills my heart, first of all, because I was sort of raised in the ministry this way. So I started this way out into the nations. But to watch, even in my lifetime, all these nations, which we used to go in, and I couldn't think, will there ever be a Christian across this whole territory, this entire state, ever again? You know, will there ever be anybody? You know, how could this hard ground, people like sacrificing their children and doing the weirdest, craziest things, how could it ever be? And now I'm looking and watching across vast stretches of humanity the other story, this end gathering, right? 
Sing, barren woman, you who never bore a child. Burst into song, shout for joy, you were never in labor. Because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. In other words, this desolation is ending. There's now children and blessing and grace, right? What a beautiful passage. It's amazing to me as I look across these passages how these passages uh, were written hundreds and hundreds of years ago about our time and about our day. They're still fresh today, even fresher, because Messiah came as a result. You know, he for- They forecast it hundreds of years before he came, and he fulfilled all of this, right? And now we're on the other side of it, right? So it's too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and to bring back those of Israel I've kept. I'll also make you a light for the Gentiles, which blew the Jews' mind. Man, they could not figure that out. My salvation may reach the ends of the earth. Even the early church didn't figure it out. So I teach in my class, my life in the spirit class, as part of I teach, is like this huge demarcation. And, and I just want you to be aware of that when the spirit came, this was the marker. This was the marker. This was the change. When the spirit came, Jesus said, just wait. Spirit's coming. And when the spirit came, all of this stuff here began to come to pass. It's a critical thing. So the thing is, that's been the church part of church polity, church government, church understanding since the beginning. Denominations and they've veered off, but this fire of the Holy Spirit falling like he did in the early church and speaking in tongues and spiritual gifts, it's so much a part of our heritage. And so I talked to my life in the spirit class and said, This is part of your heritage. You may have been raised in this background or that background. I was raised a Presbyterian. They never talked about any of this. And I wondered why they never talked about it this, because it got me reading my Bible and I read my Bible and I would see all these miracles and stuff, and all I could think about was where's all that stuff? Nobody could tell me, so I about gave up until I got ambushed. One day in a Presbyterian conference that I got talked into going by this girl. And I ended up sitting there all by myself in this weird room where people talking about how God still baptizes the Spirit. There were seven of us in the room. 3,000 people in the conference. They were all at the other ones. And I'm there with six others listening to this guy talk, you know. And the Spirit fell on me. The New Testament thing happened. And I have never been the same. I just totally, whoa. Right? So that's what this is all about that I'm, I'm reading. Now I want to look at this in light of Jesus coming. There's three responses record here. Uh, record. The confident responses of God's supernatural family. So I'm going to read from uh, Isaiah 54.1. Sing, barren woman, you who never bore a child, burst into song, shout for joy, you are never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband, says the Lord. Now can I just take this passage, a very good one, because often scripture telescopes. So it telescopes from the simplest person in the simple in, in whatever century into larger and larger things, right? Into larger and larger, like I've been telling you about the barren people around the world are now coming and singing, right? By the way, that's another thing you'll see coming soon to a theater. We talk about our songwriting and everything. And it's just happened about, I think at the beginning of this happened about 10 years ago. I mean, it's that fresh. Now songs are being written in other cultures and other languages. And the music and the sounds sound very different than ours. They're recording it. They're multiplying albums. They're doing that. Now it's happening. We still import all of our American music, even the Christian songs. Now songs, even of about, I'd say maybe the last 10 years especially, are being written. The most amazing, beautiful songs are being written in other cultures, in their language and in their tones, the way they do music, right? The, The kind of music that they do. All across the earth, even in strange cultures, you know, some of the strangest music, Christian music, is coming out. It's crazy in their own culture, right? 
So the great supernatural family is going on. So number one, rejoice and sing, which is very much a part of our culture and our spiritual culture. And it's been here quite some time as we've begun to move into the in earnest in this end time stuff. One thing that's happened is sounds and songs. And I just, John was talking about it. And it's just so exciting. We should throw our hand into this. We should throw our heart into this. It's in the air. We should put our sails up because the wind's blowing. Who knows where it'll take VCC worship or our expression, you know, just like it's happening in India and other places of the world, right? I think it's such a great thing and such a brave thing. We should do this. This is, this is our part of our privilege. It's part of what was bought for us, right? So response number one in Isaiah 54, he says, sing, barren woman, you who never bore to sing, burst into song, shout for joy, right? All right, so uh, in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, I just want to read this. I love this passage. So despite whatever is going on in your life, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You want to know what God's will is? Well, let's see. Rejoice always. Ooh, that's not easy. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And then verse 19. If you don't do that, you quench the spirit. Do not quench the spirit. So how could I sing? How could I give thanks? Ooh, that's the part. I'm glad you asked. <laughs> giving thanks in difficulty, giving praise in difficulty, runs right across the demonic powers and authorities. They hate that stuff. It actually quenches their party. <laughs> Rejoicing always. Remember Paul in jail? Rejoicing in jail, right? And how he got released, Acts chapter 16? That's how much power there is. And he says in the very next verse... Do not quench the Spirit. So if you want to have the Spirit, rejoice, pray, give thanks in all circumstances. So rejoice is singing, praying, give thanks in all circumstances. This is God's will for you and the Spirit. Do not quench the Spirit. And there's other things too. Don't treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to the good, reject every kind of evil. So don't treat them with contempt because sometimes prophecies, oh, I don't know about that. I'm going to throw the whole thing away. Don't do that. There are prophetic words that we are in a birthing stage with regard to prophetic ministry right now worldwide. So we started off okay, but kind of been skidding off the rails a little bit uh, publicly, I think. Uh, Got a little bit beyond our headlights, prophesying things that probably, you know, uh, we really didn't have the authority to prophesy or really weren't quite on the same page. But I got to say, we're trying. This little prophecy movement understanding the future will become more and more clear in the church and all kinds of churches. We'll all be more and more aware. And so this prophetic class that we have, I'm so interested in it. So in, when you come here on Wednesday night, I have my introductory class, and I'd like to get to know you, like I'm going to get to know some of you today outside. But then uh, we have a couple of other great classes that we always run all the time, and one of them has to do with prophecy, which is nothing more than learning to hear God's voice, which is part of your right, right? It's part of what you get to do as a believer. All right, um, so I don't know why I got off on that tangent, but I just move back. All right, response number two, always expect increase. Okay, this is a really big deal in your life. This is part of our inheritance. It's part of our heritage of the servants of the Lord. This is what was bought for us on the cross. Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch your tent curtains wide. In other words, get a bigger house. Do not hold back. <laughs> Somebody, keep it in tent stages. It's not that meaningful. But get a bigger house. Okay. Oh, really? That's in there? Yeah, right there. <laughs> they didn't have house houses. They had tents, okay? So I, I guess maybe they had some fixed houses too. But lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes. For you will spread out to the right and to the left. Your descendants will dispossess nations and settle in their desolate cities. In other words, you are meant to increase and grow. 
So always expect increase. The kingdom of God is always about increase, not decrease. Always about more, not less. That's why I'm glad we're doing the music thing. That's why I'm glad we're doing the warehouse thing. That's why I'm glad we're doing the university thing. I don't know much about that one yet, but that's another one. And the school thing. Increase. We're taking over everything. We're taking our education back, right? We're feeding the weak and the poor. We're taking that initiative from the government. I'm not taking it from them. I'm glad they do what they do, but we're doing it. We're in that. We're, we're increasing. We're increasing on our own wealth. Can I say that again? I'll just say it unabashedly. You are supposed to increase. This is part of what was buffered. You're supposed to increase. Now, obviously, you're supposed to use it in the right way, right? And not get swallowed by it. The problem with materialism in our culture is it just swallows people and eats them alive. They take it and they send it to bail. And they don't even know they're doing it. They don't understand how manipulative and controlling money is. But listen, you were meant to increase. You were meant to prosper. And part of the tithing thing and the giving thing is to keep you honest. <laughs> you know what I mean? Keep that as a part of your worship. And, and more than tithing, more than 10%. Why shouldn't you? You were meant to increase. You should have plenty of money to give. God wants that. That's, I'm just going to say this really clearly. Because of what Jesus did for your cross, that's part of the increase. That's part of the confident responses of God's supernatural family to believe always that God has more for you, not less. That's why even for now, where we're at right now, I keep pushing into new territory. I want the education system back. And I'm thinking even bigger than our own school right now. Bigger. I want college back. I want things. And whatever I have the role in the play at, I don't know how big yet. But whatever I have a role in that, or the poor, helping the poor, you know, the all this raging in politics of helping the poor, and they all have their distant philosophies. Some are the stupidest things I've ever seen in my life. But anyway, how they're trying to respond. But you got to give them like a little bit of a grade, good grade for trying, right? But nevertheless, there's always a political crazy agenda and stuff. But still, the thing is, we should be the ones that increased to take care of, to provide for, because give, and what happens? should be given to you. It's this wonderful cycle. So you can't sacrifice enough for the homeless. Just the homeless are tricky. You know? They're tricky because they don't know Jesus. And if they do know Jesus, they got really wounded or broken, maybe because of their own house, homestead, where they were raised, or because of the stupid ideas that they haven't le- they learned from the world they haven't learned yet, and the drug addiction thing and all of it. They need healing. They're just nuts out there. So we can't give up on the matter of fact if we keep going toward them, God will give us a special blessing. He'll give us even more even more. I predict this. You watch and see. We're going to get more money than we've ever had before. We're going to have more provision than we've ever had before as a church and individually. To get on this great task of helping the weak, helping the poor, you can't outgive God. He will put the good measure pressed down, shaken together over your life and over your church. All right. So here's verse 4. Do not be afraid. You will not be put to shame. I just want to say that over this whole place. Do not fear disgrace. You will not be humiliated. You will forget the shame of your youth and remember no more the reproach of your widowhood. But I declare no shame, no disgrace, no humiliation. Lord, I, I pray against that, Lord. Whoever is in that space where they're feeling disgraced and humiliated, you'll forget the shame of your youth. This is a big one. I notice as I run across people, a lot of bad things happen in our youth. Marriage may be being the top of it. And it's shamed us. It's put us in a really difficult place. Shame just tries to hunt us down, right? Well, part of God's agenda is forget that shame. Move on. Get past it. 
Whatever happened then doesn't have to happen again. As a matter of fact, it's always upward and onward. I don't care who you are, where you're at. You will forget the shame of your youth. Remember no more the reproach of your widowhood. No, remember, all of this is being bought by Jesus. That's Isaiah 53. Isaiah 54 is what he bought, what he purchased for us, who we are, right, in Christ, what he has for us. I love these, these passages so much. Look at Roman numeral 3. The reality of our inheritance reflects the reality of our relationship with God. So let's read on. For your maker is your husband. Ooh. The Lord Almighty is his name. You're married to Jesus. Well, I assume that if you're married to Jesus, that means you're close, right? Maybe you had a bad experience with marriage, but marriage is supposed to be the most intimate person that you're with, right? So your maker is your husband. So the one that made you is also the one married to you. Lord Almighty is his name. You're always married to him first. If you get that right, then you'll take care of the other married part too. You've got to marry him first. You know, marry Jesus means be loyal to him. If you date or you, you go out with others, do it like he says to do it. Obey. You're married to him first and then to another person second. So obey. And it'll go out really well with you, right? Because he's your husband, first of all, Lord. The Lord Almighty is his name. That's amazing. They'll do something to your prayer life. The Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. He is called the God of all the earth. So he, I think he wanted to make it extra clear here. Okay, so first of all, your maker is your husband. Remember that guy? He's named the Lord Almighty, just in case you missed it. Uh, he's the Holy One, just in case you missed that. He's your Redeemer, in case you missed that. In case you missed all of that, he's called the God of all the earth. <laughs> I, I don't think... Uh, uh, I'm not sure you could make it any more clear than that. I mean, that's pretty good, huh? <laughs> so, <clears throat> when the Lord seems to be hiding or out of touch, sometimes that happens. There's truth to stand on. And I want us to read these verses. Sometimes we get sideways. Sometimes we get discouraged and overwhelmed over an illness, a sickness, something in our life that's not going right, a tragedy that happened, whatever. COVID. <laughs> Who knows, right? But look, even if you wandered, look at this is what God does. The Lord will call you back as if you were a wife deserted and distressed in spirit. That again, He's calling back His wife. He's calling you back. He's married to you. A wife who married young only to be rejected says you're gone. That kind of pain. That kind of pain. He understands that kind of pain. So He's trying to tell you the reality of your inheritance, the reality of what happened in Jesus is these verses, right? And so now there's truth to stand on. Sometimes we have to stand on the truth before it becomes evident. We have to believe, right? Yes. So verse 6, The Lord will call you back as if you're a wife, deserted, distressed, and spirit, a wife who married young, only to be rejected, says you're gone. Right? Read on. For a brief moment I abandon you. In other words, sometimes we have times when God just seems a million miles away. Right? And maybe you felt abandoned. Maybe you felt like, God, this left me alone, you know? And whatever thing you're worried about. But look at this. Here's the part I like the best. But with deep compassion, I will bring you back. This deep compassion thing, you could say really easily, quickly, but this is one of the most dramatic experiences I've ever had, experiencing the deep compassion of God. I didn't even know there was such a thing. Jesus tells me this, I know, for the Bible tells me so, yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, I didn't know that God's love was a lot more active, a lot more powerful than that, an emotional experience. Yes, I bump along in my life and everything, but have you had an emotional experience with the Lord lately? That's why I like worship so much. It opens a door for love, really, for love, for emotional connection. 
And then there's this passage in the scripture, which I never really understood until a few years ago, and until uh, I washed up on the shores of the vineyard, and uh, Eddie Pjork especially. You hear me mention this a lot. It's all, not only because, not because the words are so unusual, it's because the experience that the words are describing, describing are so unusual. I'm going to read these words, and they can look like a poem to you. But actually, if you take them literally, they're filled with meaning. And when this love whacks you, when it hits you, when the love of God comes, not just the knowledge of God, but when the love of God comes on this deep level, uh, you will be a pleasant wreck, <laughs> emotional wreck. I, I got wrecked for a few years, and I never got over it. I never got over it. I never got over it. It was so bad. I mean, my kids, I don't even know what they thought of me for a while. They probably are too young to really see much. But I just watched Ferdinand the Bull on the TV, and I'd start crying. You know, I was just like, I'm thinking, I th- kept thinking to myself, I am having a nervous breakdown. This is very unlike my cousins. My wife was amazed. She was shocked because I've kind of, I've been a, I was sort of a cerebral guy actually and uh, got in medical school. Even Presbyterianism will teach you a lot of cerebral things too, you know, and I sort of raised like that. And then when the spirit came, it made me a puddle. It made me a mess. I didn't know, right? The deep compassion we're talking about here. Look at Romans 5. It describes this. For since we have been justified through faith, we know about that. We have peace with God. We're thankful for that through our Lord Jesus Christ. The judicial thing has happened, right? Through whom we have gained access by faith in this place in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. By the way, what I'm about to describe you is another thing that I try to get to happen with the people in my class. Introduce them to an experience with the love of God. That's my highest goal for them. They don't know it yet. We're only in the first couple of lessons. My highest goal is that they would experience God's love. I mean, experience God's love. Verse 3, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. So this is a part of the Christian faith. Sometimes there's difficulties. We have to suffer and persevere. Matter of fact, sometimes we have to persevere to the next blessing, right? Perseverance, character, that produces character. So that means we're not going to move and be blown around every time a problem happens. We're going to stand firm and not get in the devil's territory and get it, make it worse, right? And character, hope. That means no matter what situation we're in, We can feel hope because we know we've been through this before and God will help us. But verse 5, and hope does not put us to shame when we stay in that place because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So the language in that Greek word, that Greek sentence is really um, dramatic. I'll be talking about this in my class pretty soon. God's love has been poured out into our hearts. So he's talking about love, not just hanging around, but poured out in a dramatic way through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. I remember one of the commentators said, it's like a cloudburst on a rainy day. And it certainly happened to me like that and has continued to happen. And uh, I think sometimes you have cloudbursts and you just have these little reminders of, of God's love. And so that's kind of where I live now. I'm <laughs> I get touched in the weirdest ways, being the male of the species. Uh, so I cried this morning, which I don't like to talk about crying very much. You know what I cried about? There was a minor league pace, player in baseball 1,500 games he played in the minors, and he got called up yesterday. And I saw the video of it happen. I started crying. Stupid. Anyway, <laughs> so you women are going there going, what in the world is the matter with that man? I mean, I thought he was going to say something about his children or his wife. <laughs> but it was cool, man. He, he was high-fiving everybody. He's going up to the big leagues finally after all these years, right? 13 years, right? Wow, that's something. It was, I mean, 
But let me just say something about that. There's little snapshots of life that as you get the compassion of God in you, what happens is you start getting sensitized like that. You become, you know, in various ways, depending on your person, like for, you know, some people take a look at art and they'll just start crying. I look and I think, that is the dumbest thing. Who in the... <laughs> they look at it and go, oh my gosh, that is so touching. I'm thinking, really? Like some of you women said, he's crying over a guy being called up into the major. You've got to be kidding me. Right? But different strokes for different folks. God gets us in various ways. And by the way, it's hope for us men because he can't get to us. It just may look a little different than you're used to, right? He gets us. He gets you. He just gets you where you're at, who you are. Look at Romans 8, 14, 16. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Oh, isn't that great? See, the thing is, the world doesn't understand us because we're not fearful. We're not, we're not fearful. We're not like them. We're not put together like them. We're not supposed to be like them. When you have the spirit of fear on you, be careful as you watch the news, evaluate the politics. No matter how truthful it sounds, do not let a spirit of fear grip you because once it grips you, it leads you the wrong direction. Awareness is important. you know. And I yell at my TV a lot. Right? I mean, I just get mad over the whole thing, right? But anyway, but I don't let it go to despair. And I make it just sort of channel like, okay, God's still in control. I've got to think wisely. How are we supposed to be the church in this day and time? How are we wise? Innocent as dogs, but wise as serpents, right? The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. So whole parts of the body of Christ live in fear. The whole, their whole deal is making you so afraid of something going to happen to you to keep you in line, right? And that's, that's, a, that's a faulty parenting style, right? I mean, you have to warn your kids and everything, but if that's all you're dealing with your kids, you don't have love and compassion and being their friend, you're not going to get very far with your children, especially when they get older and start looking around, right? So you live in fear again, but rather the spirit you receive brought about your adoption of sonship, and by him we cry, and that word is a shriek. It's an animal cry. Abba, Father. See, my, one of my goals for my life in the spirit class is for everybody to experience that somehow or another. And some do, and some don't. Most do, I would say, but because it's in our gene pool, so the spiritual gene pool. By him we cry, Abba. Abba means daddy, which explains it better. The Spirit himself testifies. It's the word for martyr, with our spirit that we are God's children. It's a very powerful word, this word, testifies that we're God's kids. Wait a minute. I'm God's kids. I'm God's kid, right? We're God's kids. So it's just uh, so wonderful to read these passages. And if you look at B2, there are three B2 only. Not just the love of Jesus, but the permanent, unfailing love of the Father for us. And I tell you that one of the best places that I see that expressed, this is what God really thinks about you. This is why, you know, he sent Jesus, this amazing uh, love that he has for us. Uh, Isaiah chapter 54, 8 to 10. In a surge of anger, I hid my face from you for a moment. But with everlasting kindness, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. To me, this is like the days of Noah, when I swore that the waters of Noah would never again cover the earth. So now I have sworn not to be angry with you, never to rebuke you again. Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. 
So that's your passage for this time. Mountains are shaking. It looks like God's not in control in your individual life. Whatever's making you shake, right? Different things touch us in different ways. So the mountains be shaken. Things aren't going right. And the hills be removed. Yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken. Why is that? Because I have a covenant peace of, a peace with you. I established that covenant of peace and demonstrated it through the death and the resurrection of Jesus, says the Lord. And I did it because at the root of everything in walking with God is compassion. And if you remember that and experience that, you'll always have a vibrant, lovely walk with God. You only walk with God, but you'll love other people and you'll walk with them properly, including that marriage partner of yours and including those honorary brothers and sisters of yours and, and those uh, ungodly, unruly uh, workers that you have to work with, all of it, right? Oh, man, not just the love of Jesus, but the permanent and failing love of the Father for us. What a great passage. So Roman numeral four, the beauty and security of our inheritance. In other words, these things that were bought for us, I want to just read about these, these from these passages. They are so beautiful, and they explain it so well. It's just like a big poem. So I don't know about you, but have you ever felt like an afflicted city lashed by storms and not comforted? <laughs> Like you're just getting hit by one after the other, right? So this is for you, if you ever felt like that. I think in these days and times, it's easy to feel like that. I will rebuild you with stones of turquoise, your foundations with lapis lazuli. He's talking kind of, he's going to rebuild you like like would be uh, in, a, in a building, precious stones, right, or, or a fortress. Matter of fact, he says, I'll make your battlements of rubies, your gates of sparkling jewels, and all your walls of precious stones. Now, here's these amazing sequence of promises that are here. They're so incredibly beautiful. All your children will be taught by the Lord, and great will be their peace. So, Lord, I pray that over every family, every parent here. I take this promise. Because of your great love for us, I declare all my children will be taught of the Lord, and great will be their peace. Just pray that to the Lord about your very children right now. This is your promise. This is who you are as a believer. This is what you get out of this deal. In righteousness you'll be established. Tyranny will be far from you. You will have nothing to fear. See, tyranny keeps trying to make us afraid. Right? But the church doesn't buy it. We don't buy into all that. That's why the world doesn't understand this. They think we're rebellious or this or that. Look, I'm not going to be afraid of your stupid COVID thing or this or that. Not that it wasn't serious, but I'm sorry. I just not... I may see a lion over there, but I'm not going to react to him in the same way you do. I'm just not wired that way. I can't. I'm wired to somebody else, right? I'm in love with someone else, and your tyranny is foreign to me. I don't even know what you're talking about. You will have nothing to fear. Does that include COVID? Yeah. What else? Nothing. Absolutely nothing to fear. Terror will be far removed. Just a matter of time before the terror is removed. It leaves. For believers, it leaves. This is our inheritance. It will not come near you. Can I read that again? Terror will be far removed. It will not come near you. And then in the chance event that someone does attack you, it will not be my doing. I didn't do it. Whoever attacks you will surrender to you. Ooh. Boy, I like that one. Wow. They attack me. They're going to surrender to me. This, This is almost too good to be true, isn't it? See, it is I who created the blacksmith who fans the coals into flame and forges a weapon fit for its work. So he's telling, I'm the one that created these monsters. It is I who have created the destroyer to wreak havoc. What? Why? Because I've got another thing going here. 
I'm redeeming people's lives. I got my church, and she's going to come out of this glorious and majestic. And I'm going to communicate through this devastation who my church really is and who my people are. I'm going to reveal myself so more of the world will come to Christ, not less. If there's anything happening in the politics and the terror of the day, it's through God using it to reveal himself. If you get on another bandwidth or another political schedule, what's going to happen is you're going to go the wrong direction. You've got to stay in the Father's house because you know what else? No weapon forged against you will prevail. You will refute every tongue that accuses you. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. Heritage. What's that word mean? This is our real possession. This is the reality of our possession. And this is their vindication from me, declares the Lord. What an incredible passage of Scripture these, these verses are, right? So I think I went through most of that. I like that. If you look at B2, nothing to fear. We're attacked. It's not the Lord's doing. The next line, God's sovereign over everything, including evil. I, I like that. I should say that again. See, God created the blacksmith. Evil didn't create itself. He allowed it, right? He allowed it, the rebellion. He allowed Lucifer to do what he did because it was all part of this amazing plan he had through the universe to not only take his son, but take his son and have many, many sons and many daughters, real ones, that really love him, they're loyal, not even like an angel who might fall away, even in all that glory, right? They know who they are. They're bought with a prize. They've been loved well. They will not turn, right? Wow. No weapon forged against you will prevail. Verse 70. Can I just speak that over you right now? Think of a weapon that's coming against you right now. I declare over you in the name of Jesus. I don't care if it's sickness, illness, children, jobs. I declare no weapon forged against you will prevail. No weapon forged against you will prevail. It just sounds good. No physical problem, no family issue, no weapon forged against your job or your money, your relatives, your closest kin, your children, none of it, none of it will prevail. We have heritage, reality of possession of these gifts because we receive the Lord's vindication. And I'll end on this, Romans 8, 31 to 39. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us how many things? All things. All good things. Even a bigger tent if you need it. <laughs> House, right? Or whatever. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Are, are you kidding me? Jesus is praying for me right now? Yes. That's your inheritance. And his prayers always get answered. <laughs> who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Wow. As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Even if it was that situation. No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, 
neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Why don't we all stand? Let's all stand for a minute, huh? If I have the worship team come. So I'd like some of our prayer team to come up. For you that are newer to us, one reason why we have a prayer team, and I want to just say this over again and thank all of our people that will be willing to pray for someone, is if we're going to grab a hold of these promises, and some of you have some promises that you'd like to pray with in light of what I just said uh, today, and just make sure you cover it in prayer. But the Bible also says where two or three gather together, there I am. There's a special thing that happens when two or three agree about something that goes beyond what happens when we just do it alone. That's why you may not have a prayer partner. You may not have anybody that prays with you or ministers to you. Uh, you may be quite alone. Or maybe you do, but you're just in a place where you just need some extra support today. And I just believe there's all these promises and things that can be appreh- apprehended. If I, if, I, if I just left it at that and said, okay, go get them, you guys, that would be one thing. But... <clears throat> We can, they can be apprehended, and the way they get apprehended is through simply asking. Yes, God. The, the intercessory gift is possible because of the intercessor, Jesus, right? And so we come before a throne room of grace, and where two or three gather together, it's more effective, right? I don't know why that is, but there's a place of agreement. And so that's why it's so effective then to have us to have some people up and praying. And I know some of you. You know, don't want to get on camera or something. Don't worry about that. Just shift you off to the side if you like. You can't see anyway very well, so we cut it off fairly soon. But uh, I just feel like when I was speaking, I just believe there's access to God. And if you just take a moment and not run away too fast, just take a moment, just pray at your seat, or you want to come up here and agree with someone about something that you need that's not in your possession that you know is God's will. Like all my children will be taught of the Lord. Great will be their peace. I don't know if you caught any of those passages that we were doing there, right? It's pretty incredible promises, right? And maybe the one that you're married to could help you then find someone for you to be married to just by praying to him. He's your first husband, right? In a sense, first wife sounds weird, right? All right. So we're just going to do some music up here. And for you new folks, if you come out and make your way eventually out to the tent, we'll have some food for you. And we're just going to spend time hanging out and fellowshipping and spend some time with each other and talking to you about all kinds of stuff. Lord, I just thank you for the great inheritance of the saints. Thank you, Lord, for the inheritance that Jesus purchased for us. Even... One of the greatest things that happened was giving us access to a throne room of grace to ask for help in time of need. So Lord, I pray even as there's asking done from our seat about the deepest things in our heart and asking that's done maybe from up here or in the front as we come for prayer, I pray, God, as we ask today, come to the throne of grace, you would release heaven to us. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. That's a good will, by the way. Amen. Amen.